You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Hey guys, Aaron Broverman here just to tell you about our sponsor, Harry Tarantula. Harry Tarantula is our original sponsor. They're the OG sponsor. They were here in the very beginning when we were just a fledgling comic book show done out of some guy's bedroom. But they have some amazing product for you. Just go down to their store at 3456 Young Street and you can get your role-playing games. You can get your comic books, of course. You can get your tabletop games. They have everything. We got Pokemon cards. We've got Star Wars miniatures. They just have everything that you could possibly want. Plus, Leon, their owner, is an amazing dude. He uh, He's very honest and uh, he'll get you everything you need. And uh, they have an amazing new space there at 3456 Young Street. So you got to go down. You got to check out their merchandise. Sometimes they have weekly live role-playing games, some Magic the Gathering stuff. They're doing championships all the time. You've probably seen a lot of their stuff on our social media because we try to promote them any way we can because without them we wouldn't be able to put this podcast together for you so please if you're local to Toronto and even if you're not look them up at www.harryt.com and uh, check them out at 3456 Young Street and tell them Aaron sent you Listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one on one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fan people, welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. We're on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Follow us on social media at SpeechBubblePod. You can also find us wherever you get your podcast needs met. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, all the usual suspects. I just want to uh, thank you all for tuning in. This is our first uh, podcast of 2019. I want to thank the people that took the time to review uh, my show uh, Mike G, I sent him a comic over the holidays. Whenever you review our show, you get a free comic from my personal collection. I sent him uh, Promethea because he was into uh, philosophical comics. And Promethea is all about the nature of creativity and writing and that sort of thing. So uh, I really appreciate it. And if you guys want a comic, just uh, review the show and get in touch with me and I will send it your way. Today we have Jonathan Kachuba. Jonathan is a jack of all trades. He's one of the most talented people I've ever had on the show. Uh, he is the writer and artist of a comic called Paperhead, which is available wherever comics are sold in Toronto at a bunch of different local stores. It's pretty awesome. It's about uh, someone who sort of falls into his own comic creation. If you like uh, Brian Michael Bendis's cover, uh, it sort of plays with the comic medium and the fate of the artist a little bit. If you ever saw Cool World back in the day, it reminded me a lot of that, that cartoon 
where the animator falls into the world that he created. Uh, Jonathan is also uh, the artist on all of this, which is a love story that he did with uh, Suzanne Alyssa Andrew, who is the writer on that. It's basically about a guy who splits himself into two and is sort of serving two masters, one the corporate master and one the relationship, all his relationships, and he sort of drives himself nuts uh, from that. Uh, That's sort of what I got from that comic. Also, uh, Jonathan was in the latest uh, volume of the Toronto Comics Anthology, which if you're a regular listener to the show, you know that I've also been in. He was in As Good As Gold. He did a five-page story called Noctune, which is basically all sound effects and no dialogue. Um, But going away from comics for a second, he's also the lead singer and rhythm guitarist of Summer and Youth. Summer and Youth is his band. We'll talk to him about that as well. So we have a musician. We have an artist here. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Uh, First podcast. Wow, I'm I'm so glad that we were the ones to pop your podcast cherry, as it were. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I I'm honored because you know we've had some great people on this podcast. Uh, you know, Chip Zdarsky, Eddie Campbell, Ryan North, and and now you can be named among them. Oh man, yeah. Uh, I, I funny story is um I was listening to your Jay Bone interview, and I was on the highway and I got rear-ended. Oh man, <laughs> and. Uh, I was again all startled and everything, but but after everything was kind of um, was figured out, I went back and I listened to the podcast, and it kind of calmed me down on the way back. Uh, wow, that's home. awesome! Yeah, I'm glad we could be a calming influence. <laughs> yeah, basically like the meditation after a stressful situation. Oh, totally. So I'm, I'm so and I'm so glad you you survived. You just got rear-ended, but you're here now yeah. to talk to <laughs> us. Anyway. I usually like to start because you've you know you've listened to our episodes before. You probably know this. I like to start at the beginning. Uh, where were you born, and where did you grow up? So I was born um, uh, Toronto uh, Women's College. If they want to get that specific, um, yeah. And I, I grew up. I I grew up uh, in, like within the um, I would say the old the Runnymede area, like uh, Jane, uh, like um, Jane, like Jane Station there. Oh, cool. To kind of give you context, like my first comic store was like Red Nails. That's awesome. Yeah, like that area. So getting into comics for a second, what was Red Nails like as a store? Uh, how did you originally get into comics? Oh, okay, so I can give credit to my brother about that. Uh, I had an older brother and um, like everyone else who has an older brother, they influence him in certain ways. And uh, I don't remember like when my first comic book was in my hand, but I just remember it's always been a part of my life in some way or shape or form. Uh, Red Nail, what was funny about that was, um, I, this is kind of a horror story where, um, as, as a five-year-old kid, uh, I got a, uh, an indie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles black and white comic book and my five-year-old brain thinking something doesn't have color, it's a coloring book <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> pretty much, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. I used to do the exact same thing. Like when I was a little kid and I think the first comic I ever got was at like a grocery store, and I think it was like a Beetlejuice comic. And I did get a few Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics as well that way. Yeah. But I remember that there was a page in Beetlejuice, I think it was like the inside cover or something, that didn't have color in it. So I started coloring stuff in. I also was known to add characters oh, of my awesome. own <laughs> to existing comic books. So you'll see like 
crayon stick figures in comics. <laughs> I totally ruined their value, but I definitely added some some characters too. So yeah, we have that in common for sure. <laughs> so that's that's a good idea. Actually, <laughs> you should do that for comics now. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. So w- Red Nails, describe this store for me. Is it still around? Yeah. Uh, so the funny thing is, it's now called Red Nails Two. Uh, but back in the eighties, uh, it was, uh, it was called Red Nail and it moved just uh, a store away to the side. It's just right off the Jane station. And, um, yeah, it's kind of like a, it's just like a downstairs store. It's really, it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's uh, small and, uh, very like cozy. These days, comic stores are getting a little bit more, I don't know, uh, they're getting more inviting to like the public. They have like coffee shops. Oh yeah. They have like galleries (laughs) and stuff. Was Red Nails like this, or was it more like an old school comic shop with like you know you go down to the basement sort of thing? Well, or... for that one, um, that one I, I don't really recall like getting that um, you know th- that that cynical comic owner that we, we always hear about. Right. Uh, but when I moved to Mississauga, um, I remember that's where I kind of saw that like you know when the, you you get the person like over there like, you know or um, I remember um, buying Killing Joke for the first time. Right. Or trying to buy and killing joke in the first time. Right, because you were underage. I was totally underage. It was right. his first time experience of like oh. <laughs> <laughs> trying to buy killing joke, but they're yeah. not letting you get it, right? And, and you know what? And um now reading it, um it was that was actually a really wise decision. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. So it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, totally. Uh if you haven't read Killing Joke and I don't know if you uh if you have, if you haven't, but uh, there's like a notorious uh implied uh rape scene that happens yes i don't know if they actually show it but definitely it happened in the context of the comic for sure yeah it's it's explicitly applied yeah and there's also like a lot of violence uh i I don't want to spoil it but uh a central moment is like a real violent episode as well so yeah uh adam groham uh, actually had a great essay about it kind of uh weighing killing joke from you know to like today's standards and stuff like that and should we still celebrate to some extent it's it's an interesting debate for that one oh i'd love to check that out yeah, yeah. adam gorham the the artist uh that's a cool i'd love i'd love to check out his uh, his essay he's local uh to toronto he lives in mississauga where where jonathan is from yeah so yeah i'd love to check that out um so yeah so you're you're going to red nails you're you're moving to mississauga what brought you to mississauga uh d- during like the 80s um everyone it was it was kind of like that I don't like a boom of like cheap real estate and people were getting bigger houses. So, uh, you know, it's a combination of all those things. Like I was, I was five. And so <laughs> right. Parents. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. So then, so then growing up, how did you become interested in art? Like I want to do this. It was, uh, I can totally, um, contri- uh, to give to give the, the homage to Mr. Dress up the show, Mr. Dress up. Wow. Yeah. Explain the, um, Mr. Dress up. I remember, even when I was in Toronto at the time, when I was like in kindergarten, I would have the half day, and I remember my routine would be a combination of I'd come home and I'd watch uh, the '66 Spider-Man reruns and Mr. Dress Up, and Mr. Dress Up um, really just kind of uh, just did these drawing tutorials all the time that I would just follow, um, like focus on them and kind of get an idea about um, just the possibility of things. Right, like that you could you could draw basically. Yeah, you can. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So then would you like follow along and actually like do the drawing tutorial with him? Yeah. I remember this one of like an octopus and it was just kind of, it's a very complex image, but he was able to like break it down to, a, um, to like the bare essentials and stuff. It was really cool. That's awesome. That's yeah. cool. So then 
from Mr. Dress Up, uh, obviously, eventually you went to school. Yeah. How did what did your art, uh, did your love of art and drawing continue through school? Yeah, through, through elementary school during the like uh, the huge comic boom when like um, when McFarlane uh, came out with Spider Man One and uh, X Men issue one came out with Jim Lee and stuff. There was a that was kind of like the popular time to uh, there was a weird popular time of pocket of time where kids like loved comic books or and everything and i remember in in and um during that time i would collaborate with my brother my brother would uh would write comic books and i would try to draw them and so we would kind of have like our own universe like in our house of like uh what to do and um at the same time what was also kind of um i guess i'm very lucky as well too is that um my mom worked at a um at a photocopying shop or a printing shop so she would come home and she would like um, uh, once in a while she would bring these huge rolls of paper and for me like that like for me as a kid the the best present I ever got was blank sheets of paper. Wow. Yeah, that's like the greatest thing ever. That's awesome. Yeah. So so this universe that you and your brother created is he older or younger than you? Or? Oh yeah, he's older. Yeah. Older. Okay. Yeah. By how much? How many years? Uh, six years. Six years. Okay. So he's quite quite a bit older. Were, was this like a superhero universe? Superhero, yeah, totally superhero superhero universe. Yeah. Okay. Can you describe like the characters and like who they were? Do you remember? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, his his uh, his guy was this character called Grasshopper Man. Okay. Uh, it was kind of like a like a Tony Stark's uh, character. Um, yeah, a, a, that combination. And then he had a character called Power Strike, who's basically Nova. It's like <laughs> nowadays we're, we're, I'm looking at it and stuff, and it's like it's Nova. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's awesome. Yeah. And very much influenced by like the the McFarlane sort of image aesthetic with like the multiple pockets and like the muscles and that sort of thing oh yeah, totally it, it's kind of it's funny because when i look at old drawings you can tell like our characters would change with the trends so like you know the 1990s when everyone had long hair like our care some of our characters mysteriously had long longer hair all of a sudden or yeah like the the pouches the pouches were there uh shoulder pads you know that's awesome yeah that's so cool so then those got sort of, I guess, put on the shelf or like you didn't continue with them. You sort of gave up on them like like kids do sort of or. Yeah, it was it was kind of the um, I, th- I think, yeah, at the time I didn't fully really know how to, to totally get it out there. It was just a kind of a thing I did for myself. And it and it wasn't like this. This There's a whole goal I had before to be a comic artist when I was a kid, but I never had this um, a really great plan of a from A to B to, to really figure it out. And so it was kind of like this weird thing where, you know, you're you're doing it and then like, um, yeah, you, you just kind of lose steam. So what about a high school? Like, how was that for you uh, as sort of a comic geek? Were you still collecting comics? Did you still draw then? I was, so I was, I wasn't collecting so much then. I was getting more into music, but I kind of, um, a couple of things, a couple of factors brought me back to uh, comic books to some extent. Uh, one, um, Kevin Smith movies. Um, it was kind of like like watching Mallrats and Brody's character of that the very unapologetic comic book fan, right? In the sense that like you know I watch you know I read comic books you know and like um, it was kind of cool to see someone that you know like you you don't have to hide this or you know it's something that you should be proud of and everything, right? And he's already like twenty twenty years old or like an adult and he's still he's kind of reading comics and yeah. stuff yeah and also uh, Jason Liu actually too I went to high school with Jason Liu oh okay yeah. Cool. And he, uh, it was funny because he would have these, uh, he started like from day one, he had uh, these photocopied uh, books, which uh, like Human Lizard back in the day, like I've seen early Human Lizard, black and white photocopy Human Lizard. And um, 
it was funny because he was doing the stuff and then I had the resources at my place. Like, oh my gosh, I could totally do it. Like, so um, I would, yeah, me and him would get, like, we we would, like, um, draw and stuff like that. And, uh, like, he would do his comic books and I would try to, like, do comic books as well. So you guys were buddies or he just inspired you? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're buddies. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. So, like, you saw that he was drawing. How did you guys meet? You were at high school. Like, did you go to the same class together or? I think we had English together first. I think that's where we first met through English. Right, right. And uh, it's one of those things where when you when you bump into a person who collects comic books, you're like, you read comics? Yeah. Oh, cool. Like, you know, like, you, you find those people. Right, right. For sure. For yeah. sure. Uh, Jason, for those who don't know, uh, creator of the Pitiful Human Lizard. Uh, right now, he is doing uh, drawings for the latest season of Kim's Convenience yeah. on CBC, and they look amazing. Yeah. Uh, Pitiful Human Lizard, pub- published by uh, Chapter House. Uh, we've had Jason on before. He's in our one of our earliest episodes, probably like the fifth or sixth episode. So check that out. He's he's a great guy. Uh, I think Pitiful Human Lizard, as as Jonathan was saying, was like a thing that he just did as a character in high school, and then eventually got to bring it to life as like a full-fledged comic for Chapter House that was initially kickstarted and then picked up by Chapter House and now it's uh, one of Canada's uh, best comics yeah uh, as they build the pitiful human lizard the the pretty average superhero the the okay superhero so uh yeah check that out but that's awesome you guys have that connection it was, it was, it was it's really cool to see like how much you see like his artworks just uh, progressed so much it's gotten better and better Right, and I'm a dude who knew uh, Jason from the time that he was in Sketch Creek with uh, Tyrone and Alana. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was doing, like, AWOL, and he was doing those, like, Canadian G.I. Joe comics. So, yeah, it, it was it was cool for me, too, because, uh, you know, it was nice to know a dude that, like, sort of made it semi-big, like, in Canada, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and, and well-deserved, like, uh, I don't think anyone works as hard as that guy. Oh, no, like, the dude goes to like uh you know he goes to his job at the public library yeah and then he comes home at night and instead of like relaxing going to bed he's drawing like a 24 page comic yeah it's pretty awesome yeah yeah totally (laughs) so cool so what about you though like you're you're hanging out with him you're you're drawing stuff you guys are are i guess uh he's coming over your house you're driving drawing on those huge rolls of paper is that is that what's happening oh no at at this point right now we're basically kind of like um Doing stuff like you know, like uh, he's he's doing his characters and stuff like that, and like uh, uh, sometimes we'll hang out uh, at the at a photocopy place and like I'll I'll print some of his comic books. Uh, nice. And um, it was cool. It it'd be it, it's cool to see that stuff too. And, and this is like um, this is like pre photo pre Photoshop stuff. So like this is basically like pen, you know pen to paper and then photocopy and you know setting up that way and stuff. And then what are you working on at this point? Right now. I'm working on a. Um, I'm working right now a book called Loverman, uh, and I'm combining uh, both my music influences and comic book influences into this one thing. Okay. Yeah. So while you're with him, you're working on Loverman. That's oh, sorry, sorry. This time, sorry. I mean, uh, I mean, you mean at high school? Yeah. Sorry, in high school. I, what was I working? On? I think I was. Um, he he did this. Uh, compilation small compilation of like stories and I, I contributed something there at the time and i and also i was working on this comic book called river rivers peter show which was like a influence of my kevin smith stuff that's awesome yeah cool cool yeah so then you're going through high school you're doing the music uh we we should talk a little bit about that too i want to i want to talk about how like music came into your life did that at all um influence your geekdom is is music another kind of geekdom the way that comics 
is? Are they at all related in terms of like their communities? Uh, yeah, to some extent, they're. Um, I, I guess you can say that like one's more popular than the other in the sense of making more friends with it. <laughs> um, but the, um, I think what the combination I had with music was. Um, it, it it was a thing where I started to get really into uh, started getting really into like um, into like uh, just I was trying to find my own with with music I mean, music identity and stuff and um, I have another good friend of mine who's like I'm still we've known each other since I was six and he's still he's in my band right now as well my friend Sean um, where we basically would record we just would like um, do songs at his house and record him on like a Casio keyboard with like a tape recorder and uh, you know and it, and it kind of built from there where it was like oh like you play bass hey let's be in this band and then um, we were kind of like that band in high school we were like the only rock band in high school oh that's cool so that whole thing where whenever there was talent shows or, or other stuff we'd be like oh that's uh, back then our band was called Kid Menace and uh, we would do shows we would do local shows in Mississauga uh, Streetsville which is um, this, there's a venue called uh, Masonic Lodge which is still there I, kinda, I think it got reopened but it's uh, it's like one of the only places the only places in Streetsville or in Mississauga to play in really <laughs> right yeah that's awesome that's cool so yeah. you were always into music too yeah um, did the music fans look down on the comic fans like was it did you keep your comic fandom secret from the music scene because you didn't want to like be like uncool or like what what was the relationship between like music fans and comic fans i i think well i think that was the kind of the cool thing about those both things um i remember when i was um starting to do um like poster art for like in high school i would utilize comic illustrations manipulate them and put them in the flyers and stuff. And so I think that there was a certain respect, the mutual respect for that stuff. Um, for, for like people who, I think the music fans, they understood the comic fans, but the general public, I think under, they feel like they gravitate towards the music fans versus the comic fans. Right, 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 yeah. right. And I, I wanted to bring that up too. Cause like I met somebody uh, that you had done the album art for their band. Yeah. Uh, her, her, her name's, Evie, I think. Uh, Edie, yeah. Edie, yeah. Edie, and you—you you were doing like art for other bands too. Like it wasn't just your own your own band, right? You still do that. You still do album art. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I—I uh, I just did um, an album cover for uh, a band called How's It, uh, and um, I'm working on this this band called Blind Cats. I'm working on their album right their right album right now. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I did. I did. So Edie, her band, uh, Terrible and Horribles. I did their uh, their cover. And it was great. Yeah, yeah. I he she showed it to me. Like, uh, this is a person who I met through, uh, th- like, uh, in the long run, it was like through my wife. But uh, this guy became like the DM of my Dungeons and Dragons cr- group. Oh, cool! And he started dating uh, Edie, and then uh, I was like talking to you when we were together, like Edie and Dave and and me. Uh, and I was talking to you on my phone, and I'm like, oh, I'm talking to Jonathan Kajuba, and she's like, Jonathan Kajuba, you know Jonathan Kajuba, and like, yeah, I, it was funny, and I like messaged messaged you, and I, and she showed me like the the cover that you did for their album, so so that that was awesome, um, so yeah, so it kind of goes hand in hand because you could still kind of do your art on uh, album covers too, as well as doing yeah. it for comics, right? Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, I like to use um. I like to use album art as a way to kind of experiment on concepts and stuff. Um, it kind of really, uh, I, I like the ch- I like the challenge in the, in, the, in that way. Right. Like I can be more abstract with album covers, and then I can 
try to be um, more readable within comic books. It's it's like these kind of these two things, these two worlds where I can kind of uh, utilize. Right, right. Um, in terms of like going to like university and school or post secondary or like becoming an adult after high school. Yeah. Uh, did you decide to pursue art as uh, for your post secondary education or anything like that? Yeah. So I um, I first so after high school I took a year off and then I went I took the Sheridan uh, Art Fundies program. Right. Art Fundies is kind of like the um, the gateway program for uh, to get into either like to other arts programs. So you would use it as a way to build your portfolio basically. And if you want to get into animation or illustration, that's the kind of place where you kind of would work those kinks out. Right, and then so and it's like you're yeah. not quite ready, but we're bi- we're allowing you to build your portfolio to maybe get into one of the programs. Yeah. at our school, basically. Yeah. There's okay. there's like some people go from like straight from high school to like the illustration program, but other people, you know, uh, they just basically use utilize that uh, to the you know, basically. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. And so, then and then I got into illustration after that. Oh, nice, cool. Yeah. So then, how was that? Like, how was uh, doing illustration? I mean, you've been doing it independently. You've been doing your own comics. You've been doing album art. Uh, how was it different when you had to do it for like school? Um, it was, uh, I'll say, very different, and, and and it was a huge challenge. It was a huge challenge. Um, I th- I think me at the time I wasn't uh, fully mature yet at the time to to do those things. Uh, like to really fully understand, you know, the importance of discipline. Um. And uh, it, w- it was also um, at the time it was a bigger challenge for me for illustration, especially was because it was the fir- it was the um, I just had my daughter when I was twenty. Okay. Yeah. So it was like this challenge of um, I really like uh, it was one of those things where I had to re uh, re reorient- re uh, coordinate myself, and uh, I had to really learn a lot um, about myself in the sense of uh, with art. Right. Yeah. And like that's crazy because you're trying to you're trying to do school, you're trying to excel at school, and then all of a sudden you were like dating somebody and you had a kid like that, that like blows up your life kind of a little bit. Right. Well, actually, so when I went to, when I went to, um, art fundies, I was married. I, I, I got okay. married. Yeah. I got married at like a 20. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And it was, it was really cool because, uh, my art, when I was in art fundies, I was the only one allowed to have a cell phone because I was waiting f- for like the, the news of that, you know, like that, um, my uh, partner at the time was going to go into labor, you know, and, uh, it was it was kind of really exciting. It was kind of exciting that like it's kind of it was an interesting experience because everyone kind of shared it with me in the class. That's awesome. The class got kind of closer. So so and I only ask you this because it really influences like who you are as a person. I'm sure. Like how could it not? Yeah. But like, what was it like being like one of the only people in your class that was married at the age that you were? Like like so so young at like twenty. Like I like at twenty I couldn't imagine being married. Like I, I know right. <laughs> you know what what. What possessed you to to want to do that, and like, how did what was it like trying to relate to other people in your class at that time? Well, again, for me at the time, it was it was you know just going life forward. It, it um, uh, we we had a whole plan set up for ourselves, and um, it, it it like everything kind of everything made sense in in, in that way for us. Uh, uh, to connect with other people, it was always challenge uh it was always that kind of challenge but a part of me and this sounds like kind of ridiculous but i felt like it was very punk rock to be against the grain like uh <laughs> right like i was living this uh nuclear family in my 20s while you guys are you know like that it was like some kind of dumb notion i had of like i'm so much more mature than you like i know what's up with life kind of thing that kind of thing well i guess well not the mature well the mature thing is kind of that 
that didn't really happen as much, but um, <laughs> okay. it was like, it was more of like, this is against the green, you know, like, right. uh, this is, you know, like I'm different in that sense. And I try right. to like play off that notion. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. It's like, it's like domesticity as like rebellion. Yeah. It's kind of awesome. Like, like uh, there was a time where I start wearing a tie more often in, in my 20s. And you're like, why are you wearing a tie? Like for irony. <laughs> right, 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 right. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, that's cool. So, so, but you got a lot going on. Like, like you kind of had to like grow up pretty fast, basically, I would say. Right. Like, yeah. You're trying to like get a career happening. You got a daughter happening. Like I would have been like scared on my mind. Like, how did you cope with that? Did art play a role at all in like helping you to mature as a person and, and like, calm you down i guess in times when things were like stress stressful it 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 did and it didn't so the whole thing for me that whole process i think the amazing thing about having kids is that it really um it really puts things in perspective and you really look at your time and how you spend your time and how you value your time like everything you do now um go somewhere in something or takes from something else. And you have to kind of reconcile with those things. Like um, there's always type of sacrifices to be made in some ways. Uh, like when you're drawing, um, you know, it's it's time that you're not with your kids. Um, and right. so you have to kind of make sure that you value that time, that you have to, when you're there, that um, there's work, you have to come out with something to, sh- to show yourself that, you know, that you spend that time properly. But at the same time, uh, if you work under that pressure in the beginning, uh, that's the, that's the huge challenge. You're like, Oh my gosh, you know, like it's not what I want it to be and everything. And, uh, that's that, that part gets stressful. So everything has to be something like everything you're working on better amount to something or else it's like essentially a waste of time or, or at least you, you feel guilty that you could be using that time to like spend with your daughter or, or that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. At the time yeah, that that's how it felt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Crazy. Um, because like, that's really immense. It's a really immense feeling, you know, like having to be like, I don't know if I want to draw this cause my time could be better spent, you know, with my daughter or whatever. Or like, if I am drawing this, it better amount to something that is worthwhile so that I can say like, I didn't waste my time yeah. doing it. You know what, you know what I mean? And, and I think sometimes too, that people have to kind of reconcile that, um, there is a process that you have to learn your process. Like uh, I've heard stories of authors that would like write, you know, hundred pages, and they said that after they threw out their hundred pages, they start. That's when they found the star of their book. Right. And that's just a reality that you know you might have to come to terms with in that sense. Right. That that there are going to be times when, like, the first little bit is crap. Yeah. And but you still have to pers- keep going. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um. Cool. That that's really good. That I think that's a really good lesson that like our listeners can learn from for sure. Um, especially with all the things that you're juggling. Like there are people that like they have trouble finishing things and they don't have like nearly the amount of responsibilities that you do. Yeah. So I think it's really good to have you on in that in that way. I mean, so all this is going on. Are you drawing this whole time, or did you have to put it on the back burner at any point? Uh, for like, my- yeah, the total uh, for for myself, what I what I did was um, I spent ten years working the warehouse job, uh, but I would do this thing where um, I would really really time my my breaks and lunches in the sense of like um, I would have a sketchbook in my locker and it'd be this thing where fifteen minutes, okay, it takes me five minutes to finish lunch, I can have ten minutes of drawing, and then like my half an hour like lunch thing, I'd be like, okay, cool, I can like do this and I can have twenty five minutes of drawing, and so I would go somewhere and I would just um, 
at least contributed to the sketchbook. So when I was taking a break from drawing itself, I was still maintaining um, a consistent sketchbook all the time. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you were still sketching. It wasn't always for a published comic or something you wanted to publish. No. But you were always you were always drawing. Yeah, I was drawing. Awesome, awesome. So did your time at, you said Sheridan? Yeah. Did that uh, amount to anything? Like how, like when you ended it, uh, were you able to complete it? Like what? Oh what no! Uh, I I dropped out after the first year. Okay. Um, it was like for me personally. Um, again, that I was saying about the lack of maturity of myself. Um, you know, going back at it now, it's like, oh, if I can do it now, I could totally do it. But uh, at the time, um, I, w- I, w- I was learning to be responsible. <laughs> um, as crazy as that sounds, uh, scary as it sounds, um, and. Uh, but I, but then I, I gained friends from there still, and uh, I still kept in contact with certain teachers, and I understood also um, the, uh, the the concept of of being inspired and um, and uh, putting yourself in situations to be influenced and stuff of of other artists being around there. Right, and critiquing too. Critiquing was a big thing as well. Like, in what way were you were you influenced? What? How did critiquing help you? How did those things? Uh, help you personally? Uh, there was a concept. So uh, the, one teacher had this um, great saying with life drawing is, uh, I want you to draw, draw, me, draw me the arm, not a arm. And the idea of that, he's saying that don't draw, draw the arm that you see in front of you in the, in the life drawing, but don't draw an arm in the top of your head. And that kind of concept. Uh, right. And it kind of, um, it, it put me in the idea, in the state of, um, to what it takes to be um, a better artist is kind of constantly challenge yourself. So when you get comfortable, uh, draw something that, uh, you know, um, draw something else that would, would be difficult that you haven't drawn before. And uh, the more and more you do that, the more like confident you can be at everything. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. So when did you start uh, self-publishing? Like when did, when did Paperhead and all of this sort of happen? Were you, were you self-publishing after uh, Sheridan and and like working the warehouse job and that sort of thing, or or did did it was it always part of it? Well, well I, after so when I was in the warehouse, um, I did uh, attempt to self publish. Uh, I had a comic book at the time called uh, The Devil's Mask, which I um, I uh, co created with my brother. Uh, we he wrote and I, I drew it. And um, that's What's kind your of, brother's name. Oh, my, my brother's name is Michael. Michael. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, we uh, we would do the convention circuit uh, for one year, and uh, that's where I met uh, Tyrone and Alana um, as well, and the convention circles. And uh, it was that that was kind of a it was an interesting. Uh, it was a awesome experience at the time uh, to do those things, but uh, again, like I couldn't keep up with that idea and stuff. And I was getting um, at the time, I think I was getting a lot of anxiety with um, you know tr- trying to like I was always fatigued all the time, and I felt like. My work was never um, good enough for the published, in, right. in a sense. Right. But then I, came, but then again, I, I took a huge break from publishing, and then eventually, oh, now I started. Do, I started coming back now with comic books. Nice. Yeah. So, the break. What were you doing during the break, and how long did it last? When did it start? Oh wow! How long did it last? <laughs> Probably almost a decade, type of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like I didn't. Uh, I didn't draw comic books for b- about a decade, but I would. I would. S- slightly get myself back into it in the um through um doing um commissioned work with um with bands and um i also another big help for me for recently with stuff was the uh, toronto comic jams oh yeah yeah and at the cameron house we we've talked to um who did we talk to we talked to 
uh, three dudes uh, from the Toronto Comic Jams, uh, Rob Mursky. Oh, yeah. His band of, of guys. Read More Comics, right? Yeah, Read More Comics. Yeah. Uh, they were the guys who sort of exposed our audience to the Toronto Comic Jams because that's how they met. Yeah. Um, just to refresh people's memory, the Toronto Comic Jam is like everybody, you know, you do a panel, then you pass it on, and someone else does a panel, and then they pass it on, and then another person does a panel, and then it keeps going until at the end of the night, they basically have a comic. And these are like yeah. monthly jams at the at the Cameron House, and whoever's there contributes to the comic yeah. that is produced in the one night. The last Tuesday of, of every month. It's the last Tuesday of every month so, at the Cameron House. So at the end of each of those, you get a comic. So they've actually been producing <laughs> monthly comics, but they've been sort of drawn uh, piecemeal by each person yeah. that has contributed a panel to, to the comic. And that comic jam has been going for, uh, I remember being in high school and uh, like and being excited to be legal drinking age so I can one day be part of the comic jam. That's awesome. I got to go to one of those. Yeah. One day I'm going to go. Like that's that's an aspiration that I have. Uh, I want to have uh, David Ragadoshio on, like the people that, oh, that yeah. were in charge of creating the jam and stuff like that. I love Dave. Dave's awesome. So uh, yeah, for sure. Like like that's gonna be on a future episode of Speech Bubble for sure. We'll talk yeah. more to the people who created the Toronto Comic Jam. But for now, yeah. Um, in the the break that you were having, yeah. What were you doing? Uh, it was basically. Um, I was changing uh, nine to five career, so I went from warehouse to um, to working as a graphic designer for like a for my parents' printing company. That's awesome. Uh, and it was kind of a, that was a big change for me because I think the frustration I had with working um, doing a labor job was that I was completely fatigued by the time I got home, and I was just mentally and everything was drained. And so, at least with the graphic design job. I didn't. I didn't have to lift um, heavy boxes. <laughs> right. It was easy by comparison. Easy by comparison, physically. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it was like this thing where, uh, uh, and, al- and also uh, my graphic design job, I didn't uh, get risk of like scoliosis or something. <laughs> Were you trained as a graphic designer, or did you just know enough about art because you've been doing it all your life that you that you kind of got the graphic design thing? I, I I was very lucky in high school to be part of a media communications program that taught Photoshop at a very young age. That's awesome. So uh, I had that experience as well. And um, I also, um, after like when I was in the warehouse, I was taking uh, night courses uh, at OCAD for um, uh, just for digital media as well, just to kind of accredit myself that I have these skills on paper. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Cool. So you're doing graphic design. Yeah. And uh, I guess your daughter is growing up this whole time too. Yeah. Also, and at this time too, I have I have a son too as well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> From uh, different relationship or same no, relationship? same relationship. Okay. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you have a son, younger son, daughter. They're growing up. You're sort of taking time to like raise them, I, I assume as well, right? Yeah. And and then I think at this time too, um, uh, me and, and I was going through a divorce at, the, at my thirties and stuff. So, oh, okay. So you know, um, I, I was co-parenting and uh, and and do, and starting a new career. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot, man. <laughs> You're like, how do you like? There's people like I am 33, and I just got married in July. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and so this is all stuff that's like ahead of me, but you are a person that's like been married, divorced, have kids, yeah. 
you're like 36, right? Yeah. And and I'm like, oh my god, like my wife is 35. Yeah. Right. And this is like her first thing. So, like, do you having you know looking back on sort of the trajectory of that? Do you have any like advice? Because like, there's probably a lot of people that you know that are like starting down that path now. Yeah. For the <laughs> first time, and you've been through it all. So do you feel differently about watching everybody get married and do the stuff that you did in your 20s and uh like how do you think about it well well i kind of see things um so i think one of the things that um i guess like i can use as a benefit was when i was a young parent at the time i I totally understood why people like were were weirded out by and looked at it i mean even when uh when i was with my um like when my kid was playing with um, her friends and I'd be with the other parents, all the parents were like their forties. And I was like this 20 year old guy. And you know what I mean? Like I was, the, I was like the, I was like the age of the, like their oldest child. Right. <laughs> and um, I think dealing with all those, like dealing with that and kind of coping with it with like, just say for humility, you realize it, it's not going to kill you all these things. And that um, as hard things can get um, things, things eventually do get better. Right. As much as, as, as long as you want them to. And, uh, there's a lot of things that are, um, out of your control. And at the same time, there's a lot of things that are in your control and stuff. And you have to kind of know when those times are, um, you know, if you're stuck in a situation, um, you kind of realize, okay, well, what can I do in the situation to make it better? What can I really change it? And if you can't, like, for instance, if you're waiting for, if you're waiting on bad news on something, and you're you're you know you're worried about it and all those things like what could possibly be the news and all that stuff like over the phone, um, that moment that you're worrying about it, you have no control what that other side is. No matter what, what right. you do, so you either worry about it, stress it out, or try to like live your life and deal with it when it happens. Cool. Um, there's there's that, and 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 also too is um, again like my like I, for me like watching my kids grow up um, is. It really, really fuels me in that sense. Like, it's amazing to see them become people and have their own preferences and, and being a part of that. And it, it really, like, teaches me a lot about certain things. Like, I was into sports before, and my daughter's really into sports. And my son, too, as well. And I had to become, like, a like a, like a, a hockey dad to some extent. You know, like, I had to, like, learn, you know, learn the sport and those things. Nice. And you're, like, taking them to hockey practice and stuff, too? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So, like, even if you have no interest in hockey, you become interested because your kids are interested. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, the, what, what I'd say about, like, that with kids is, um, like, what I kind of learned more with, with kids is uh, the best way to, like, influence your kids is to set an example. Right. And uh, instead of, like, telling them what they should be in those things, you, you, you have to set the example for them. And to influence them, I think you have to facilitate their, what they want to be, their goals. Right. And that, in that way, and find a way to like work with them in that sense. Right, and you know, if they want to be hockey people, you try to make that happen. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Like that's awesome. Uh, are your kids at all artistically inclined? Oh uh, yeah, they're um my my son Jeremy uh like he he does his own comic book as well too. He's very private about it, but uh, he lives in this amazing age now with YouTube where you're given all these amazing tutorials and about um, story structure, um, um, about illustration tips. Like he, I think he wants to get into animation right now. And right. Uh, he's, uh, he's really like, he shows me these, um, these Naruto uh, breakdown videos about the animation of Naruto. Um, and I'm like, oh yeah, like this is amazing. Like, you know, it was, it was really cool to see that. Right. That's awesome. And he's easy. He's also able to look at um, like, um, 
watch movies and um we we, we like you know Hitchcock's uh, rule of rule of three yeah so I told him you know the whole idea of where if Hitchcock says if he, if you want the audience to know something you mention it three times and then the the third time like you know the audience will be with you so we'll like watch movies like it's the rule of three rule of three like you know like that's that, oh that's the third time okay all right that's good foreshadowing like you know he knows like the idea of foreshadowing and stuff that's awesome yeah and and my daughter um she's um she's really into um she's into writing and sports cool yeah cool and so your son's in art your art is into writing i mean they could do a comic right now yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah so let's get back to you for a sec yeah. uh so you take this break you you change careers you're you're raising your kids uh what brings you back into comics and publishing um basically okay so aside from the comic jam uh was um when i met uh, Susan Alyssa andrew uh, we, we both were in the music scene. Uh, and, and so we, we met as that, like, like we both met at not my dog, uh, this really cool, uh, this bar that's not there anymore. That was on Queen street. And, um, we had the same, we had similar interests in the music and in art. And, um, we wanted to contribute towards the, uh, Toronto comics anthology with, um, with, with, the, with the concept. But, um, I think our concept wasn't, um, Toronto centric enough. And so we decided just to make a full book of that. And that's what all of this uh, uh, happened. Right. So describe all of this. Uh, Susan Alyssa Andrew is the writer of all of this. You are the artist, as yeah. I said off the top. Uh, describe what is all of this for people who don't know. All of this, the way I would describe it is like it's like a modern take on Humpty Dumpty in the sense. Um, and w- w- the way I describe it is a modern take on Humpty Dumpty with a Cronenberg body horror twist. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So did I accurately describe it off the top where when I said that it's like this guy who like his personality basically like splits into two and like there's like the corporate part of his personality and then there's like the relationship part of his personality kind of thing? Well, close. I think I think what you're what, what there's like the logical and emotional side. Right. That logical kind of emotional side. Yeah. But, you know, that, that, I like the, I like when people have their own interpretations. Right. I, I don't I don't think against it. I think that's basically what I was trying to yeah. say. You just did it a little bit more eloquently than yeah. I did. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> basically. Yeah. No, 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 Suzanne's a great writer. Um, she she was uh, she has a, a, a book called um, Circle of Stones and uh, it's really cool. It's a cool concept. Uh, cool. Cool novel. What's the concept? Uh, basically, this, this couple is traveling across Canada, running, and each each chapter um, focuses on a, on a different character that that's involved with the two characters. So it's almost like the if you read each chapter separately, they're like short stories, but if you read it as a whole, it, it tells a continuous story. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's kind of like comics. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. So. Uh, in the book, like I read all of this, and it's it's sort of a body horror sort of thing, and initially I didn't realize that this was actually happening. Like I wasn't sure if like he split in two in his mind or if he actually did. Yeah, yeah. Do you think about it as like he actually did, or is it just sort of a thing that's happening in his mind? Oh, metaphor. Uh. I think personally, I think he did. That's the kind of the cool thing. I I, I like the I just like the concept of um, it's not about it's not about the how, it's about the why. Right. And I, I like to, I like concepts like that where um like you know like movies like The Lobster or um, Killing of a Sacred Deer where it's there's a sur- there's a certain surreal aspect to certain things. Right. I I just um I, those those stories really intrigue me in that in that sense. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, like okay, so so if this actually happened and he was so stressed out by dealing with the emotional sides of his personality 
and then dealing with the logical side of his personality that it just like split in two. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Like that's that 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 that's like he's there and it's like two different people and you use a lot of uh, great techniques. You you use color a lot yeah. to differentiate between the two personalities. Where does that uh, technique kind of come from? The oh the, the color one uh, actually I'll give that, that was Suzanne's idea the color idea that, okay. that that was a cool way of like for us to kind of um, say that he's in the, he's the wrong he's with the wrong people right. like the wrong side of him is with the wrong people like that's the kind of like the tragic that's kind of like the um, the irony of it or the, the the tragedy of it is that he splits these two people and he's like the the, the woman that embraces the passion in him the logical sides with her and then the logical the, the woman that wants you know consistency and that stuff has the emotional person yeah and you really get a sense like once you realize that like his emotional side is pink and his logical side is blue yeah you really get a sense of you can use the color cues to see that he's in a his emotional side like his body is red but but the background is blue. Yeah, you really know when when his emotional side is with is with his lo- with a logical environment. Yeah, and at in uh, yeah, and it also spoilers that like there's uh, like there's other you you find he splits into more and more people, and those sides really really you know you can see what's missing and what he's lacking in in, the, in that sense. Right, Every right. Time he splits up. Have you ever felt like this guy? Because it seems like you are a person <laughs> of at one point in time divided priorities or multiple masters or somebody that's trying to achieve balance in their life around like all their different interests and all their different responsibilities. Oh yeah. Does this, does, does this resonate with you, uh, in your life as well? Yeah, totally. Um, it's, it's this weird thing where, um, especially like in my thirties, uh, the, the whole joke I, I, I tell some people sometimes is that, um, in my twenties I was 40 and in, in my thirties I'm like uh, 20, you know, that type of thing. Uh, and, um, it's this weird thing where, um, you know, like, uh, I would, I would have this interest, like, uh, I think, no, sorry. I think that the whole thing is that when you talk to people like, um, again, talking to, um, my children's, uh, friends, parents and how, um, you have to like, you know, you're like, okay, well, they're, they're not going to know about, um, you know, saga or all those things. You can't really have a conversation about, you know, about comic books or, or that stuff. Because they're older, they're older and stuff like that. Yeah, and and their their interests are probably in in the sports and that's in that realm. Um, and at the same time, like when you talk to when you're hanging out with other people, their priorities are very different, and so it's always hard to like, you know, to connect the idea of like, hey, uh, like I can't make it, I can't do, can't, I can't commit to this because you know I have other commitments to make and stuff. Right, right. Yeah, and but you can't really tell them about those commitments because they won't understand them. They won't fully, fully understand it. I mean, it's this thing where um, I or sometimes sometimes I feel that way in 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 that in that level. That. Right, right. Interesting. That's yeah. an interesting way of looking at all of this. That's awesome. So, was all of this always meant to be like a one shot deal? Uh, yeah. Um, it it well. I mean, we, we had ideas before and everything, but um, it was it was kind of like uh, there. I mean, we we always got excited for what can come always further with that stuff. Um, I think it's uh, what I think with us, the a lot of stuff have happened between that, and um, you, you know, and, and I think that yeah, I think all of this is now just a one shot. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, in terms of like the technique you employ, there's a lot of shading uh, in your drawing style. Uh, and like, like how did you sort of arrive at the type of artist you wanted to be? Like what was, how did you get to like the technique that would be sort of your signature? Like what do you consider your signature? Well, I, I think 
so so I, I made there was a point when I was when I was drawing comic books before where you, you know you look at artist styles and there's things that you you copy from them but you don't really know why you do it um, and um, I think I made I think the big dramatic and this sounds very subtle but I decided to give up on cross hatching <laughs> for shading techniques right because I, I I found that I never used it properly and I never fully under like I respect when I see people do it other artists you know amazing artists do it but I never fully understood myself of how to use it and apply it and so I kind of committed to like just doing like if I'm going to do a sh- shading I'm going to do dark shadow drop shadows uh I really gravitated to Mike McNola for that as well when like he just utilizes that and it's possible to do it and so it, it kind of really inspired me in that way right he does that with Hellboy all the time like yeah like, the use of shadow and and dark dark black lines and, and negative sort of space thing. just using negative, negative space, space to make shape yeah yeah for even sure. though was it is it Chris uh, Samney or something is that his name Chris Samney yeah who did Daredevil with Mark Wade yeah yeah like uh I like when I see his his um his work it's it's just that amazing like yeah y- you can see like he'll have um these drop shadows which can just like tell you a whole story behind it right you know create a certain mood. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Cool. So you're doing all of this, and like, at what point does all of this come out? When did all of this arrive? Uh, that was for uh, TCAF. TCAF of this year. Uh, yeah. T. T. Uh, Twenty. Two thousand eighteen. Two thousand eighteen. Yeah. Okay. So um, at that time too, I was also I because we didn't get in for um, Toronto Comics Anthology. Um, I um, I still got accepted to to do a piece for there. So. I was working on all of this at the same time doing the uh, Toronto Comics five page. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so, so you two were trying to get into the Co- Toronto Comics anthology, and then you got in, and she didn't, and then you were working on all of this. Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. The deal. So we, we but it was kind of, it kind of worked out. It, it, it actually was actually felt better that we didn't accept it because uh, I, I think that again, the, I think the story wasn't uh, Toronto centric enough, so right. it made more sense to be its own standalone story. Yeah, because all of this was your original pitch, as you said. Yeah, yeah. For, for uh, Toronto. Uh... Toronto Comics Anthology, so everything sort of worked out in its own in its own time, right? Yeah, that's kind of cool. We got to tell the story instead of ten pages. We got to tell the story in like in, in thirty. Right, that's awesome. Yeah, cool. And you got this little one shot that you could like sell at uh, comic stores in Toronto and stuff like that as well, right? Yeah, cool. So is all of this like still available? Is it available on Comicsology? Like, where can people get it? Uh, you can get it at um, so w- within within the Toronto area, you can get it at uh, Beguiling has copies still, um, West End Comics, um, Sidekick, uh, and in Mississauga, Gotham Central has it, and Image Collections in Streetsville. Nice, that's awesome. Yeah. So then let's move on to Paperhead. How did Paperhead uh, come to be? Was this after all of this? Yeah. Um, but but paper it, it it is and isn't so paperhead's a very interesting uh, um, it's very weird of how it came about it's it's almost like a Frankenstein book in a certain way um, you know uh, in the in the way that um so I ha- I've had like leading up to all of this um, I never had the full confidence to um, to complete a book I would try to like start something and I would. Uh, I would just st- get anxiety and I, and I would stop doing it. And so with Paperhead, what I did was I looked at everything I did and I remember, and I just realized like, you know, like there's something with these, these things. And, and the funny thing is that there's, there's two, three separate s- stories that I had and I spent like a whole month um, amalgamating them all together. Mm-hmm. So I, I would basically look at what I had and I would um, draw the pages in between those pages and then change those panels to kind of fit everything else. 
Wow. Yeah. So originally, Paperhead was like three different ideas that you had, and you just stitched them together. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Yeah. So tell people what it ended up to be. What is the what is the plot of Paperhead? Well, the the, the way I, I pitch it now is um, the way I've kind of summed up. The simple is it's about making a comic book while being inside that comic book while it's being made. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like emotionally he's dealing with like the dissolution of a relationship. Yeah. And it's sort of that emotional vulnerability, correct me if I'm wrong, that allows that all of a sudden because he becomes so vulnerable and his emotions become so permeable, that's what allows him to fall into the comic. Like the more emotionally distraught he is, yeah. the more he sinks literally and figuratively the, yeah. into his creation, right? Yeah. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> it, it's... Uh... It was a thing, and it's funny too, because at the time, emotionally, I was going through a lot of stuff, and it was this, uh, I was basically kind of, it's funny, because to get even more meta, it was, I was kind of going through that whole process and using that a way to cope with it. Um, and it, it was interesting, because I, I, I was kind of, I'm always want to challenge the concept of, because cause people always say, like, you know, well, art is therapy, but sometimes you can't lose yourself entirely into it. Right. Like, sometimes you have to confront reality. And I feel like that paperhead was kind of me trying to get all the neg- negative parts of myself and uh, putting them onto paper. Right, right. Because at the time you were dealing with the dissolution of a relationship as well, um, and like all of that emotion that the character feels, like you were sort of feeling, you were also sort of them because you're also kind of an artist. So yeah, like the meta ness just keeps going and going and going. Well, there was that too, and it, and it was well, it was also um, the, dealing with like. Um, like my stepdad had heart surgery too, and it was like kind of like a, it was a very tense time in, all in general. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and it was it was this weird time where um like emotionally like because it was it's kind of funny because all of this paid off when it was finished, but when I was drawing it, it was this weird process of I had to like convince my my body or my mind had to convince my body to do these things. Like it was like like trust me, it'll pay off later. You know, like work on these things and uh, do this, maintain the stuff, and you'll have something to look forward to by the end of the, like you know. In the months. How did you maintain uh, such discipline to even do it while you were going through all this emotional turmoil? Um, it was basically writing stuff down simply. Like uh, you, you, like w- a couple things like that. That and changing like your mindset. So I made it a point, uh, I real- like re-realizing your certain vices. So like social media, um, I realized played a factor into like anxiety and stuff. Um, and... Uh, and I, and I know I know you need it, right? It's necessary to need it for to to network with people. So I um my my daughter helped me with that one. So she basically took over my Instagram account. Nice. So if you see if you talk to me on Instagram, you're talking to my daughter. Oh. <laughs> through through me, yeah. I I gotta remember. Have I ever talked to you on Instagram? I don't think I have. Oh no no no. <laughs> okay. I've talked to you on Facebook. Though. Yeah. No, she, she's 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 really good at um like organizing that. She she has she's more tech savvy than I am about that, and uh, it it helps me out in a certain way where. Um, and I do that. And at the same time too, is, um, I look at like my day and seeing like, you know, you look at a list of stuff when you, what you finished and what you didn't finish, you have to kind of be honest with yourself of why you didn't finish those things. And you have to kind of, um, like adjust, just kind of adjust it and kindly constantly adjust yourself and learn. And then you slowly learn what, what environment works best for you as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I think this is all stuff I'm going to learn as my life gets more complicated and I, I sort of have kids and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. But I feel like I'm getting like advice from, from the Yoda, like in advance of the rest of my life changing. Like, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where I don't really realize 
what I'm being told, but I'm totally going to realize it once it happens. And I'll be like, oh, that's what Jonathan was talking about. Like that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but there's a simple, I think it is, I think there's just a positive mindset that you have to always kind of put yourself into as well. Um, and uh, again, like I said, with writing stuff down, even writing the simplest things down, like it's kind of, there's a weird dopamine release when, uh, like, even if like, it's, you could cheat and say like, you know, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take out the garbage today, you know, and you write that down. And then by the end of the day, when you cross that out, it's just a, a great feeling to have. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. Like it's, it's like a little sense of accomplishment every time. Yeah. yeah I, I do that sometimes too. Also, another thing too, I'll just mention quickly is too, is, um, another great, uh, a lesson I learned as well. Um, there, there's a YouTuber, Anaconda, she said, was um, uh, don't compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself to your older self. Right. And that's the best way to kind of like um, to avoid like toxicity in that sense. Right. And you can gauge like how far you've actually come. Yeah. Right. Like, are you are you proud of yourself? Are you prouder of yourself now than you were back then? Yeah. Good question. <laughs> I get I, I I'm I'm. I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy that I'm finishing certain things, but I'm, I'm always. I have this mentality where, like, I want to be modest and maintain like a, a modest life in those things, and and feel like, um, y- y- you know, what I mean, I don't. I, I always fear like giving yourself compliments will like lead into complacency in some way. Right. But I, I guess that's the challenge. You have to learn to love yourself, and I think that's the hard part. That's the challenge that I'm dealing with as well. Right. That's crazy. So now that like paperhead is a thing, and it's a pretty deep uh you know there's a lot to unpack there not just like the meta-ness of like the technique and storytelling and that sort of thing but like the emotionality of it yeah uh where are you gonna take it is it is it is it one and done just like all of this or are you gonna do more issues of paperhead it seemed like the story might continue oh 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 Paperhead right now um, is 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 a one and done right now. Okay. But what what Paperhead basically became is uh, it became a way for me to figure out how to to do all this stuff of writing and, and drawing. Right. For my next project, what I'm working on right now. So what are you doing now? I'm combining um, music and uh, and comic books with this. Uh, so far, the the the, the working title is Loverman. Loverman. You were mentioning it before. Yeah. So what is this? Uh. Well, all I can say right now is that it deals with um, kaiju monsters and uh, punk rock. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's uh, – I basically, like, use use Paperhead to kind of figure out what's my best writing – the best way I can write something and how I can write stuff. And I've been – What do you mean by the best way? Well, in the sense of, like, the environment you put yourself into. Like, um, like people have their – everyone – the thing I learned, too, as well, and, and, I get, and this is always a challenge, is that people have different ways to approach – uh, comic books, you know, how, how they write. Some people write like a script first and then they draw it out or they thumbnail it. But for me, I feel like I'm more of a visual person that um, I like to plot out the concept and then write the script afterwards. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. And, and also another big thing too was uh, I also try to find, you find a person that you kind of can look up to. So um, I've been getting a lot of help from uh, artist uh, Eric Kim. Oh yeah, I know Eric. Yeah, Eric, uh, he's been awesome. Uh, I, I, like, I kind of, like, um, I don't know, he's kind of like a mentor right now in the, playing that role. That's awesome. And um, he, I'm able to kind of show things, to, I, I'm able to show things to him in a way that, like, okay, here's the, here's what I have. To, so I wrote I wrote one draft of the script, and he, um, like, you know, he went through it. And basically, uh, I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> 
Right, right. So yeah. you're still learning. Yeah. Eric is one of the most generous guys yeah. in the Toronto comic scene. Uh, I had a story that I did for a 24-hour comic day. It was a 24-hour comic that Oh, I yeah. Did. And so cool. uh, he helped me, right? Like, like he, we were going to make it into a thing because he really believed in it. And uh, he, he drew it. Like, he drew part of it, at, like, more professionally for me. Uh, and then I just I just got really busy. Like I got too busy with like life and other things that I that I wanted to do. And also because of the subject matter that we were dealing with, uh, it would have to be like really researched because it was based on like tr- a true thing. Yeah. And something you didn't want to get wrong because it was based on like something that people were actually going through and stuff like that. So I'd have to like talk to. It had to do with like ALS. So I'd have to yeah. talk to like people that uh you know new als and and make it accurate and stuff stuff like that and it was just it was going to be a lot of work right and i just at the time i didn't really have time for it but i always remember eric for helping me yeah to like you know want to do it for me and and he want like he wanted to be the artist on it and stuff and i always remember that like he didn't have to he could he could have just uh been like all right good luck you know yeah but like very very generous guy and uh I'll always remember him for that, for sure. He, um, for me, when I was when we were when I was first pushing all of this, uh, I first pushed it as an ash can, and I remember um, giving giving him a copy because I just know him through the scene art stuff, and I like his work a lot. Right. And uh, he just, you know, like we spend like an hour talking about it, and it was like this thing where like, wow, like I feel like, you know, like I feel like like a much better person now. This whole thing, and I remember just um, tackling uh, like Paperhead. It was kind of that was a way for me to also. I knew that I had to um, find ways to push myself. There's ways you can trick yourself to push yourself in right. a way. So like one of them is uh, you um, you have to kind of also kind of create a certain pressure. So like for instance, like with Eric, um, I kind of made these invisible deadlines by meeting him in a certain way. And so a part of me that like it's like this thing where um, uh, if I get caught up in certain things, uh, a part of me can go, well, I don't want disp- I don't want to disappoint Eric. You know, I, I want something to show. You know, he's came, taking this time to meet me. I should like have something to show for him. You know, right, right. Thing. Like you'd you'd set up the meeting with Eric as like a deadline, so you'd be like, uh, "I better have something by the next time I meet Eric." Yeah, essentially. Cool. That's awesome, man. This is the greatest thing. So now you're working on this new thing. Yeah. Uh, what did you say, Lover? Lover Man. Lover Man. It's it's uh it's named after a uh, Nick Cave song. Uh, cool. Yeah. So. And it, it combines your music and your uh, love of comics. Like, in what way? Like, how are you going to do th- do this? Um, well, you know, to be honest, too, even Paperhead was kind of influenced by music as well. Um, like, so, like, I like to, like, there's a similarity when I write a song versus writing a comic book in the sense that you want to, um, like, with music, there is, like, you know, verse, chorus, pre-chorus, all those things. And the second verse has to kind of, you know, you can, you can, you can express... Uh, so it has to be different from the first verse and those things. And it kind of works in the sense of with music, with story where you break on parts. Uh, with Loverman, what I was trying to figure out of how to do, um, I try to use a music song structure as a way to make scenes. I, so I, I, that's how I'd order it in a certain way. So I, I, it's weird. I, I made basically made a skeleton of a song and that's like the first issue in the sense of like, okay, so the intro of the song is the intro of the of the of the comic book. The verse is the establishing part. The you know the when when the when the pre-chorus comes in, this is what we're doing. The chorus you know it, you know introduces the main character, and then so on and so on something. Wow. Yeah. So Loverman is completely based on the structure of a song. At the time being, yeah. So far, so good. Yeah. So far, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Wow. It's just it's just a way to kind of ignite myself to do something. Okay, yeah. cool. So your your second love, is, or maybe your first love, and comics are your second love, or maybe they're equal. I'm not sure. But your one of your loves is music. Yeah. And you do have this band, uh, Summer and Youth, that you're like the rhythm guitarist and the you know lead singer yeah so tell me a little bit about because i didn't realize that like music played such an important role in your comics and your art also like these days at least yeah uh tell me about like how did you guys form we um so it was after after i got divorced um two friends of mine my friend sean my friend Haig, we had a band previously in high school and um we had a reunion show from our high school band and we love that feeling so much. We were, we were all going through our own like crossroads and changes in our life. And we realized that um, if we're going to hang out with each other, let's just make music together. Like we, we enjoy doing this. Uh, and we kind of uh, not, not give up, but we kind of um, didn't want to put the pressure of like, we're going to make it big one day. Like the whole goal was to create something, you know, and, to, and we, we all love the process of it and then playing shows as well. Right, and then, but you have, you have other members too, like you have your friends, and then oh, and and, and uh, drummer Don Lewis, Don yeah. Lewis, right? Yeah. And she provides some of the vocals, or at least, uh, yeah, you all kind of do in some aspects, right? It, it's a funny story too because um, she wasn't in the original Summer and Youth Band. Uh, we we had um we we had our drummer Matt Shilton, and um, he um, he went through uh, he had he got rear-ended, and he had a he had a concussion, which you couldn't he wasn't allowed to play drums anymore. Whoa! Uh, and then. Um, our uh, Dawn came in because she was my vocal coach at the time. Oh, and so and she's like multi talented too. Like she's she has she's like a she's the jack of all trades. Like uh, she she has like seven different lives and stuff. Wow, that's doing awesome. Things. Uh, but she yeah she became the drummer and uh, backup vocalist as well too. So she adds a whole different dynamic to her band. Right, it's always nice to have a female vocalist in bands. Yeah, I I always like that. Like I always like the contrast. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I just I just dig it. Well, you know, and, and, and I, it's kind of cool. Different voices uh, give different narratives in a certain sense. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I notice. So it's called Summer and Youth. How did you arrive at that name? <laughs> uh, we we had to figure out something, and it was one of those. It was a very making a band name is probably one of the hardest things to do. If uh, if you find a band name that you like and you, and you did within five minutes, like hold on to that name. Like that. That's like for us. That's like the hardest. It's. I'll say this. It's harder to name a band than to name your child. <laughs> wow. <laughs> At least there's a bunch of names to choose from if you name your kid, right? Yeah, yeah. But the, the whole thing with bands is that you'll name a band and you're like, okay, let's Google it. Ah. Oh. And then you're like, okay, back to, back to square one. You know, you're like, so it was this, it was this thing where we, um, we wanted to kind of create like a certain atmosphere and uh, that at the time, that's, that's what we stuck with and we're like that's it we're sticking with the name we can't change the name anymore and that's that what like harkens back to like the high school band uh bones that this band is has come from sort of thing uh we we like to think that we're we we, we like to think we're different from that stuff like we we kind of made an approach that um back in high school we were more into like the pop punk um type of scene and this is like much more us being adults and more mature in that stuff right uh so <clears throat> we tried to like um i think i think when we didn't play music together, our influences changed a lot, and uh, that kind of expresses that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, I noticed that, like, I listen to some of the tracks, and a lot of the the songs have to do with like death. Like, yeah, like, there's songs about like coffins. Yeah, and there's songs about like uh, you know, 
like death, basically. Um, like the, the the song that we're gonna play at the end of this episode, uh, spoilers. Yeah, it's called Left for Dead. Yeah, and uh, and I think I listened to another song called Safety Coffin. Yeah. So like, what is this whole macabre sort of thing that you're doing? Well, we we liked um we we were like, I I think for us at the time it was kind of that was like metaphorical for us like letting go of a, an old self of ours. Kind of like we were all were kind of going through a huge change ourselves, and it's kind of like this idea of being resurrected. Uh, the word, the safety coffin uh, word, comes from um, back in the old days. There was um, this concept where uh, when people were buried, they would um, they would have a bell that would be a, on a string that'd be outside because back then people, I know, I guess doctors weren't as advanced, so they couldn't diagnose death as well. Right. So there was a huge chance that you might been um, in uh, mistakenly buried. Wow, so you might still be alive. You might be still alive, and so the whole idea was, the um, the bell was a way of like, uh, you know, like you, if you wake up and you're in your coffin, you had a string tied to your finger, and you're like, right, right, yeah, let people know, yeah, like, hey, I'm still alive. So was there a guard above, like, to to check on the bell? I hope so. I hope so too. I'll tell you this: if there was a groundskeeper, I I have a feeling that his responsibility was a lot more important than it is now. Right, and and I'm sure that there were a lot of people that were buried alive. Even with the safety coffin. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. And so it was kind of like a metaphor of idea of like that we had before we used the imagery of a bell and the idea of like kind of saying that you're alive, like an idea of that mistakenly dead type of thing and trying to play up that notion of coming, coming back in, in that sense. Right. Right. Yeah. So have you always been the singer at all the bands that you've been in? Yeah. Um, I have. Uh, yeah, totally. Okay. Just because you were just into singing or you had a good voice or I I'm so here's the thing. I'm not mus I'm not as musically talented in that sense. I'm not like or musically knowledgeable as my band. My band is way they're musicians, like they're they're musicians and songwriters. And for me, singing was the way I I always wanted to be part of music in some way. And so singing was the um the way I can only match at the time that I could do it. Right. And it, I kind of evolved from that. Right. And how do you like usually the lead singer is always the mo- like always perceived at least publicly or like in the media as like the most important part of the band you know you know what i mean oh. so how do you like deal with like egos and stuff like that like like i want to be the lead singer no i want to be you know, like that yeah. kind of thing well well for me personally i know that um that i'm very lucky to have better musicians uh with me that play with me and uh all of us um like we we don't uh, i feel like um our, the way we become unique is that we're all um, what what music comes out of us is us trying to all of us have our own voice in that music style. So like everyone who plays their part, um, I've like they write their own parts in the right. song. Right. And um, the ego, yeah. And I see that a lot too with with ego with the idea of like people have solo projects and stuff. And it really it really irks me when um, when there's people who um, have this mentality where uh, I write the songs when they or they mistakenly think writing is just lyrics, but writing is the whole song itself. Right. When you're a songwriter, you're not like, I'm just writing the words. Um, you're writing the parts and all those things. Uh, and I, and I, I don't like that attitude of, um, you know, uh, here's your stuff and uh, like, he- here's the music by numbers and uh, you play your part. I like when people are invested into something. Right. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I don't know. Like, I think, I think that's pretty much it. Like, uh, are you okay with this? Or do you, did you did you like this uh, this interview for your first podcast? Did it oh, go really yeah. well. Yeah, it was good. This is this was very 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 cathartic. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, I think there's only one thing to do. Uh, well, first of all, say goodbye to the audience, 
Uh, bye, audience. Please uh, tune in to the next episode of Speech Bubble. Thank you. And also, we got to play your song. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, the song that we're about to play. Like, just uh, sort of preview it for the people. Okay, so the song's called Left for Dead. Um, the best way I can describe it is that it's kind of about the idea the idea being in like purgatory in that sense and how that's kind of like the the worst part in the, in the sense of being in, in that way the, the the part of being where you're you're either waiting for the inevitable end or or not that uncertainty all right so uh without further ado let's play left for dead by summer and youth thank you so much jonathan this has been a blast oh thanks aaron this is amazing talk to you later bye, bye. Left for Dead by Summer and Youth is produced by Fraser Kowalski and mastered by Mark Thibodeau. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com.
Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com is executive produced by Alex Ross. Audio editing by Joseph Yanni. Social media assistance by Jamie Warner and The Social Smiths. Announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward. Logo design and graphical assistance by Brittany Tice.